Oh, yeah. And we're back. That's this right. This is Brooklyn Paper Radio coming to you from the Brooklyn Paper Studio in downtown Brooklyn. I am your co-host, Anthony Rotano, editor-in-chief of Brooklyn Paper, and I'm here with my co-host, Johnny Cunin. How you doing, Johnny Cunin? I'm doing how you doing, Tony Rotano. I'm doing well. You know, we've got bright skies, blue skies, a blanket of white on the ground, but I think all that fuss over the snow this weekend was just that fuss because it seems to be quickly melting away. But kids are enjoying it while they can because they're out of school. One quick thing on de Blasio. He's a lot of things. A meteorologist, he is not. No, no. Although if he runs for president, he may, you know, claim to be to be to be seen. <laughs> All right. Well, what do we have today? What's um, on the today agenda? Today we've got a, a really exciting show. Uh, a bunch of firsts on the show. A big first for the Brooklyn St. Patrick's Day Parade coming up in a few weeks. Another big first coming out of the Brooklyn Public Library. Um, but first, a word. we should give yeah. a word to our sponsors. That's right. It's a who one. Make this show happen. The only way we do this show is. All to them. So thank you to One Brooklyn Health Systems, Brookdale University Hospital Medical Center. They are the leader in healthcare in East Brooklyn. It's no longer heart month. No, Tony. it's now March, March 4th. But we're only a few days out of, you know, heart month and heart health awareness month. And just because it is in February doesn't mean you shouldn't know what's going on with your heart. Never too late to get your heart checked out. So give them a call at 718 718- Two four zero five six zero zero, and make an appointment today. Make an appointment, Brookdale Hospital. It is Women's History Month. Heart disease, the number one killer of women in the United States. Don't go down in history as another statistic. Go get your heart checked at Brookdale Hospital. Love your heart. Know your risks. Brookdale University Hospital Medical Center. Thank you for sponsoring our show. Tony, what's the first thing are we talking about today? So I know it said... I said it was a week of firsts, but actually, before we get to the first, we're going to get to a second, and that is the second coming of this <laughs> call to bifurcate our train service um, along that beleaguered subway line, a, a foursome, a quartet of politicians, city councilman Justin Brannon, assemblywoman Matilde Frontis, Matilde Frontis, no T at the end of that, um, State Senator Andrew Gennardis and Representative Max Rose down in Washington, D.C., all last month penned a letter to the state-run Metropolitan Transportation Authority claiming that its so-called fast-forward plan, which we've been hearing about, I know you've been reading about, it's a $40 billion effort to kind of grab the system out of its current state of disrepair and really get it up and running Part of that is to do a bunch of signal modernization and replacement along the R-line in addition to station upgrades. But that's not going to happen for at least a decade, we're thinking. Mm. So these politicians looked to the past to improve the future by calling for another split of R-train service between Brooklyn and Manhattan like they did following Hurricane Sandy, Superstorm Sandy, you know, when the when the line was destroyed in the wake of that horrible bout of extreme weather. Joining us in studio, who has had a hard time containing herself from my, you know, the way I just move with my words, is Julianne McShane, our reporter who's covering the coastal corridor, as I like to call it, you know, from Diker Heights all the way down to Bay Ridge, Coney Island, etc. The people who would who lived through the first secession of the R train and may live through another one. Um, and she's kind of been talking with the politicians and also 
the residents since this announcement was made to get a sense of do we need it? Is it wanted? You know, it's generated a lot of comments on our site. So Julianne, I said a lot, but maybe flesh out, you know, what this proposal is, what it's legitimacy, you know, is it even, is there even a leg to stand on there? And, you know, what you're hearing on the ground from your, you know, beats. Mm -hmm. So as you said, the proposal is to split our train service between Brooklyn and Manhattan, as they did in 2013 for 14 months following Sandy, while they were uh, doing repairs to the Montague Street Tunnel, which goes under the East River. And that and split would be in different things on weekdays and weekends, right? right? So, so Southern Brooklyn subway riders who wanted to go into Manhattan on the R line would have to get off the train at the Court Street station, switch to another train. So the four or five on the weekdays, the uh, N line on the weekends, if if they were doing it exactly as they did in 2013. And then w once they got into Manhattan, if they needed to switch to the R line or another train, they could do so. But basically, this is eliminating that portion of the R line that goes from Court Street to, I think, Whitehall Street in Lower Manhattan. So there are a lot of questions. It's not exactly clear clear what prompted it. Um, right. These politicians sent this letter to Andy Byford, but people, Southern Brooklyn subway riders um, who have been commenting on this, you know, who have been um, venting their frustrations on Twitter, have said that they this never this proposal never even came before the community. It never even came before locals. They don't know where it's coming from, and in fact, they don't want it. Because, you know, for people who live in Bay Ridge and even Sunset Park, the R line is the only way they can get into Manhattan. And they allege, many people allege, that uh, I would say the majority of people who weighed in alleged that their commutes during that period in 2013-2014 was much longer, much more difficult because they had to get off and, you know, switch to one or two more trains than they normally did. Right. Transferring, you know, always generally adds time to a commute. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, we invited three of the four politicians behind the letter to come on the show today, um, none of which were ultimately able to do so. You know, one of the questions we did want to ask them was where this, you know, it, without allegedly engaging the community, as many have said mm -hmm. they did not do, where did this idea come from? Mm -hmm. You know, what, did they sit in a room together? You mm -hmm. know, was it a, a chain email bouncing idea? Like, we don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but as Julianne said, many in the community feel it wasn't, you know, a grassroots initiative because mm -hmm. they did not know that they were going to call for it. Right. Um, one of the interesting things I found, and I don't know if you've found this in speaking to writers is, you know, we did have one when the news first broke that they were attempting to restage this split. One writer who, disclaimer, works in this office um, but lives in Bay Ridge told us she loved the last split because mm -hmm. her trains were far less crowded coming home because mm -hmm. they originated, you know, at Court Street, which is blocks away from our office downtown. Um, and she, you know, could just ride. She didn't have to fight for a seat. Now, do you think that, you know, did you notice more people perhaps less opposed to the idea who just commute locally on the train? You know, do you think that that opposition is really coming from people who are riding it over the river? Because, you know, our, right. our colleague 
is just Brooklyn based. Right. I think so. I think that's the case. Like I said, I the R train is the lifeline. We actually in one of our old stories called it the lifeline to Manhattan, it which is. for Bay Ridge, for Bay Ridgeites it it is. So, yes, many people um many people were upset about, for that reason. Many people also claimed that this is not something that tackles the root issues um, of plaguing the R train and the subway in general. You know, the R train especially has a lot of delays, very infrequent service. Usually the wait is about 10 minutes between trains or longer. Um, so there, it's not very clear, like I said, where this came from, why the the politicians are not publicly pushing for more frequent service or more R trains, why um, they are not pushing for faster signal upgrades, because as you mentioned, the, uh, the R line will not get signal upgrades for at least five years. And even then, they won't extend south of DeKalb. Uh, street, which is the downtown stop, right? One of the downtown stops, and of course, we know from, um, you know, all the reporting that's been done on this, the signal system is almost a century old, and it is uh, allegedly the reason that the subway, the New York City subway system, is as delayed and uh, unreliable as it is. So, um, so that is that is kind of that. We have someone, if we have time. Who could weigh in a Ridgeite? Oh, we've got. Do we want to do it? We've got a Bay Ridgeite. Um, if they can do it under three minutes, yeah, we, I would love to get a local's it. opinion let's on the call. It. So this it's is a hot issue. We've been, you know, we've been asking around right. to friends and also commuters like ourselves. So this is Nancy Ford, a Ridgeite, who was very vocal with her opposition and actually said on Twitter how many of these four politicians were riding that R train back in 2013 which is a great question great question by the way so we'll hope she picks up hello hello is this nancy yes it is nancy hi this is tony rotano co-host of brooklyn paper radio calling you um with my reporter julianne mcshane and my co-host johnny cunin Um, hi nancy hi we're so grateful to have you available to chat with us you know we were talking about this latest call to bifurcate the R train. And um, as Julianne pointed out, you know, you posed a really great question in your response to this news, which was how many of these four politicians actually rode the R train during the last bifurcation. Um, And the answer, by the way, is apparently only one. One, according to your reporting. So, Nancy, first of all, we don't have a ton of time for the call, but we want to get as much of your opinion on this as possible on the air. So before your reaction to the fact that only one of four of these people allegedly rode the train during the time they proposed to replicate, why do you, aside from that, what are your concerns about this this call, you know, as, as, a, as a means of service on the line, not making it worse? Well, I can understand um, the, the issue with delays say, in, in Queens or even uh, in parts of Manhattan and affecting the entire line, but cutting off the service to Manhattan entirely makes a much longer commute and much more cumbersome commute for anyone who needs to reach lower Manhattan, right? financial district especially. Um, I did do that commute. We were located at um, near the Whitehall Street R station at the time. Uh, I now have to go to Cortland Street, so I'm still in the and doing the same basic commute with the R. Is that every day, but, Nancy? Or 
Uh, I'm not doing it every day now because the commute already has become so difficult that I was able to work from home some days. Got it. But a lot of people can't do that. Right. And at the time when the R was uh, only running to Court Street, I I had to go in to the office every day. So I did do that. How much did it increase your commute time? Would you say? I think it probably added at least 15 minutes. Wow. That's Which, yeah, makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, that changes it, it, a 45-minute yes. commute to less, an hour commute. Less sleep you know? every night, too. Yeah. Yes, and it always, uh, I mean, that's on, that's on a good day. <laughs> right, right, right. When and that's right on there. maybe a day when the elevator in Court Street is working, maybe. And mm-hmm. at least, uh, I, don't, I don't know that climbing the stairs adds... Uh, a lot of minutes, but it adds a lot of uh, a lot of difficulty if you're having any trouble with stairs and extra walking too, since it's not a same platform uh, transfer. So clearly, this you know it seems based on the questions that you were you know you had posed about uh, why these politician proposed this. You know, is it safe to say you were surprised they suggested returning to a time you know that clearly was controversial among commuters. I mean, what, um, you know, were you surprised? Do you believe there wasn't enough engagement to even see if this made sense among locals who are actually taking the train? And, you know, lastly, how do you feel knowing that only one of Mm -hmm. four of them actually took the train regularly during the last time? Uh, I was definitely taken aback to see that, uh, and to see it first in a, uh, I saw it first in a newspaper article, um, and it Probably sounded hours. like it sounded like a demand that it be that it be uh, changed back to the uh, the bifurcated route. And uh, yeah, I was very taken aback. Uh, I I don't know I don't know anyone who had any idea this was in the works. Mm-hmm. And I don't and I may have overlooked something, but I don't know of it being you know floated for people in general to uh, to comment on it. Um, what do you think about the fact that only, you know, allegedly only Justin Brannon was the one who rode the train, I think it was like three days a mm-hmm, week or something mm-hmm, back then, mm-hmm. but, you know, neither Frontis nor Gennardis nor Max Rose. Rose never got back to us. Who, yeah, who never replied. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Do, you know, how does, what... Do they have any what, business? Yeah, sort of. How do you feel proposal? about your your representatives? You know, calling for something that maybe they, you know, on behalf of their constituents that they never really experienced themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, even if they didn't go through it themselves, I I would want to know about all this feedback they they some of them at least claim that they're acting on (laughs) right because they're saying that constituents have suggested this to them that that's where it came from and um but it doesn't it seems like many of us didn't know this was being considered sure i mean that seems to be the case we've encountered in reporting on this on the call and the and its aftermath and you know we're still hoping that we can get you know we were hoping to have one of them on the show to kind of flesh out the um the thoughts behind the proposal but alas 
timing did not work out. Um, Nancy, I want to thank you for taking the time to call in. We're going to have to jump um, to another uh, portion of the show. But before we go, we always love to give our guests a chance to, you know, take the air and, and, and address anything maybe we didn't talk about. So if there's anything else about this issue or or something else happening in Brooklyn that you feel is important to alert our listeners to, whether you're involved in it or not, um, by all means, before you um, we let you go, please share that. Well, on this issue, it sounds like something that calls for uh, a town hall or something of that sort. Sure. It advances any farther. Yeah, no, I think that that's a reasonable yeah. request. You know, a, a forum where all the opinions can be mm-hmm. expressed mm-hmm. and analyzed, and then kind of you know, next steps can be mm-hmm. proposed from there. Right. Yep. All right, thank Nancy. You, uh, well, thank you for, for calling time. in, um, and we'll certainly stay on the issue and keep reading the paper to see what comes next from these bifurcation calls for the R train. Okay. All right. Thanks, cheers, Nancy. Bye-bye. Bye, Nancy. Um, So that was Nancy Ford from Bay Ridge, who is among those locals questioning these, what some say are premature calls to split our train service. They want more information. Can I just circle back to maybe when hosts aren't listening here? When is this uh, proposal supposed to take place? There's no timeline or, you know, and it's one of those things where the leaders involved, you know, Max Rose and Justin Brandon don't really have that much control over the agency itself. It's a state-run agency. I mean, even Frontis and Gennardis, you know, they're up in Albany, so they're working a little closer to the powers that be that would make the decision. Throwing out ideas here. Um, But it's, you know, if it were to happen, I imagine, given the state of the MTA, it wouldn't be happening, Mm -hmm. you know, anytime soon. And, and, And I do think that, you know, more public engagement would be in order, as Nancy suggested, because it did kind of come out of the blue. It was in a letter. Mm -hmm. That's all that's been kind of spoken about so far. Mm -hmm. Um, but alas, yes. Alas. While we wait for that train to take off, um, we must move on to our next interview because I know he's waiting for our call. Um, folks, thank you to Julianne McShane for joining us for that. Our train recap. Um, we're going to kick her out so she can keep working and have her send in Colin Mixon, who's reporting a really, a really exciting story for some, and surely one that will likely outrage others out of Park Slope, where this month, Brooklyn's St. Patrick's Day Parade, you know, the eponymous St. Burroughs eponymous St. Patrick's Day Parade, will step off on March 17th with its first ever formally included LGBTQ group um, for 44 years. Yeah, I think that deserves a round of applause. Very cool. For 44 years, uh, the parade and and many, you know, similar marches, uh, St. Patrick's Day marches, you know, have controversially chosen not to include formally uh, local LGBTQ groups, um, despite members of those groups wanting a prominent presence in the parade. One of whom is Brendan Fay, um, the leader of the Lavender and Green Alliance, um, a local organization of LGBTQ Irish Americans who, Brendan, in 1990, I think, or in the 90s. 1999. That's Colin Mixon joining us. 1999 was arrested for trying to march in the parade as part of this alliance, correct? Uh, Yeah, that's right. He had applied earlier that year 
Um, and that application was denied by the organizing committee of the parade. And so they protested the event and at one point joined in the march and they were arrested for parading without a permit, I think was the charge. It's doubly stupid. You know, it's funny what laws there are on the books that can be cracked down on, you know, when they need an excuse to crack down. Yeah. Um, Shall we? Yeah. Let's get, get Brendan a call. I mean, the news is really, you know, it's 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 important. I mean, even given over the weekend, I believe staying Staten Island, our friends on the rock, you know, they held their St. Patrick's Day parade did not include local LGBTQ groups. Hello. Um, hey, is that Brendan? Yes, it is indeed. Hello, Brendan. This is. Anthony Rotano, co-host of Brooklyn Paper Radio. I'm here with my reporter, Colin Mixon, and my co-host, Johnny Kunin. Hey, how you doing? Hello there. Um, first of all, we want to thank you for taking the time to call in and chat with us today about this really, you know, important, exciting news um, coming up at the Brooklyn St. Patrick's Day Parade. Um, and, you know, we gave our readers, our readers, our listeners... A little bit of a primer of, you know, the context behind, you know, this decision and how long your group has advocated for formal inclusion in the parade and also, you know, your own scuffles with the law regarding your desire to march. But I'd love to hear, you know, from you just how, you know, how important and sort of game changing this announcement is here in Brooklyn and for, you know, the local Irish American LGBTQ community. Of course. First of all, thank you very much for um, having me on to for this conversation um, on this historic occasion of this breakthrough um, with regard to the St. Patrick's Parade in Park Slope, Brooklyn. It is a it is a historic breakthrough from the early nineties. You know, Irish. LGBT immigrants, myself included, we the writer, and of course, like most immigrants, we would seek out our own community. And parades in New York City, in all of the boroughs, are like expressions of cultural life and community. They're very important gatherings. So it makes sense that we would want to be part of our community celebrations. And so it was the exclusion and being told that we don't belong or we cannot march with our banner identifying who we are as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender people was painful, was traumatic. It sent the wrong message. It didn't reflect either who we are as Irish people or as New Yorkers. And, uh, and this went on year after year after year in the 90s. Um, I remember when um, I found myself arrested on Fifth Avenue. And then, of course, right through the 90s, I would ride to many parades around the city. And my great hope was, well, maybe Park Slope, Brooklyn, you know, will be the one to welcome us. And, um, and I wrote to the organizers of the parade, um, I remember in the 90s saying, Please, it means so much to us. I would go out with others, uh, including to the mass, because I would always say, until the whistle blows, there's always room for inclusion. Mm -hmm. And I would go in and I would pray at the mass. And there's a, there would be the breakfast downstairs at the Holy Name Parish. And then 
would come the moment of the parade and we would be told, you cannot be part of this parade. In a way, it sent a message that you don't belong. And right. that sends a ripple effect message right through the community and through the city. And it was at a time when there was such discrimination against LGBT people around AIDS. It was a very painful time in the 90s. And then, of course, in 99, when we were arrested in the parade in Truck's Neck, and then I said, well, Brooklyn will be the one. And then we went to Brooklyn, and, of course, elected officials joined us there. Remember then, uh, Christine Quinn, mm-hmm. um, who was arrested there as well. And there was local organizers from Brooklyn, from a number of the Democratic clubs. A great coordinator there was, you know, Alan Fleischman and others. And it, there was something about getting arrested, our banner being rolled up. And, uh, you know, but, you know, so this brings why this breakthrough is so important, you know. But, but let me just say as well, after 99 and after being arrested in so many parades, I remember coming back to Queens and thinking, well, perhaps maybe I need to apply for a permit and create a parade in this city that would be known for its spirit of welcome and inclusion. So, you know, I began, I reached out to others and we created St. Pat's for All. Oh, interesting. And, uh, yeah, that, that par- parade in Queens, which we just had. Yeah, yesterday. it happened over the weekend. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's 20 years. So I have to tell you, you know, parades are so important. I, I didn't appreciate their meaning back in Ireland. There was no need because we were Irish in our own country. But when you come to America, to New York, every cultural community has its moment on the avenue. These rituals are such important gathering places when we say our heritage, our culture means so much to us. We celebrate that. It's a gift for the city. And and uh, I am so proud. Let, let me just go right to the chase, if I can, and say Please. I am very moved to hear the news. I was so moved and, Brandon, um, what? and called many friends. If I could interrupt you um, about the news specifically, what do you think, because I, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that, you know, groups like yours and other local, you know, LGBTQ advocates, um, you know, have been pushing for formal representation for years. It's not something they do every 10 years or every five years. I would imagine it's a yearly request, a yearly sort of, you know, let us, let this be the year. What do you think happened this year that led to this because you know it's been a few years now that the main saint patrick's day parade has formally down fifth avenue in in manhattan has formally allowed lgbtq marchers so let me let me this is count let me stop you real quick tony so that i think brendan tell me if i'm wrong but this is the first official application since you were arrested in 1999 right with the brooklyn parade um this is the first official application from uh, the Brooklyn uh, LGBT Irish group. Well, from from an LGBT but, but community. Look, a conversation has been going on. In th- this conversation has been going on in every St. Patrick's parade all around the city. Right. 
it, it's an issue. It's almost like saying, um, if someone in your family is LGBT, will we create the space for them to be themselves, to feel welcome and come out? Well, that's right. But we so it, in, lieu of a, in lieu of an official application, though, you, you've been working kind of behind the scenes to influence the organizing committee and, and try and you know, reach some accommodation or, you know, increase the inclusiveness of the parade, right? Yes, yes. And so can, and can you talk about that say, process at all, you know? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Look, why do you think it very, took so long for people to come sure. around to it? Yes, that, that's a whole other conversation. What was it? What I think a welcome onto the, into the Fifth Avenue St. Patrick's Parade in 2016 right. was a huge breakthrough. In, in all of this. Yeah. And uh, that was a very proud moment. And this will be our fourth year that we will be marching in the Fifth Avenue St. Patrick's Parade. And let me add, with the support of the Cardinal, and, uh, but above all, like the parade organizers, um, you know, and, and just believed that this was the moment. In fact, they have acknowledged, and they have said to me and others, that they regret that their welcome took so long. My response is, in a way that does not matter, what is important is that we all arrive at the place where LGBT people feel that they belong, that they are welcome and celebrated and included in the community. And with our banners and be who we are, can you imagine what the message just sends to young LGBT people in Brooklyn? It's, it's to say a, that they belong, that they're part of the community, part of their families and neighbors. It, it's a powerful and, message, without a doubt. Um, yes. A couple, a couple quick questions, and then unfortunately, we'll probably have to let you um, go because uh, we have another caller lined up a few minutes from now. But first and foremost, you know. Watchers of the parade, spectators, who should they be looking for? What flags should they be looking for on March 17th that designate the LGBTQ groups that are marching in the parade? Well, of course, um, uh, there will be that beautiful banner that Lisa, Matt, and others have created for the Brooklyn LGBT um, group. And, um, and I'm really grateful to them for their leadership, their work, their advocacy to make this possible. I also want to extend my thanks to the organizers of the parade who were willing to sit down and have the conversation and all of them together, you know, make this historic breakthrough possible. I hope that they will be on the avenue with their banner, with their Irish flag, American flag, rainbow flag, but all of Brooklyn will be celebrating this day, the parade to be on March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, will be in Brooklyn. And the whole city will be taking notice, will be celebrating, and it sends a great message from Brooklyn to the rest of the city. It's very moving for me after all of these years. I can only, and, and after being arrested. It's, uh, it's going to be a great celebration. Now, my last question, you know, just because I, you know, I'm curious, obviously decisions yeah. like this, you know, for as many people as call them historic and, you know, it's about time. You know, there are people who are reluctant to change. And, and I'm wondering, have you spoken to anybody 
planning to march or, you know, who's apprehensive about, you know, the news being out there and what type of negative reaction they might, you know, withdraw? Or is it just an overwhelming positive story that sort of drowns out any concerns about the day of and what might happen? Well, everyone that I've been speaking to and yesterday at St. Pat's for All in Sunnyside and Woodside, many of the city's political leaders, leaders in the Irish community, and um, were, were simply all saying that they were looking forward to March 17 and everyone being together at the Brooklyn St. Patrick's Parade. Um, this is a moment to be celebrated. And uh, I have to say that all of us in Lavender Green Alliance who've been watching for years, um, and this is the year of Stonewall 50. Right. And this will go down as a historic breakthrough in the history of St. Patrick's Parade in the city. And I feel nothing but joy and gratitude and respect for all, everyone who sat down and made this possible. And um, we welcome the moment and look forward to being together on the 17th. And I will say this, there was one Brooklyn, uh, well, for many, you know, a great hero in our community who will be, his spirit will be among us, and that's Father Michael Judge, who used to say to me that he looked forward to the day when all of the Irish could finally be together. Well, Brendan. And in his home borough, that will be happening on the 17th. That's that's wonderful. Brendan, I just want to say for uh, some friends of mine who I know would appreciate, you know, what you've done. I, I want to thank you for, you know, your dedication to this issue. I know it means a lot to a lot of people. And so congratulations. And it's great work. Yeah, we're looking forward to covering and following the parade on the 17th. Yes. Yeah, they're small. Parades are great. Everybody should come out and it will be a great parade and a great celebration. Thank you. Well, thank you, uh, listeners. That's Brendan Fay, a leader of the Lavender and Green Alliance, who for the past 20 or so years, you know, including in 1999 when he was arrested, has advocated to expand the LGBTQ presence in our local St. Patrick's Day parade. Um, So thank you to him for calling in and sort of sharing his feelings about this historic decision and to Colin Mixon for providing the context and, as always, sniffing out the story on the ground. Thanks, guys. Yeah, and so uh, that interview and the interview previous to it and the interviews coming up are all brought to you by our friends at Brookdale University Hospital Medical Center. Uh, they're the leader in healthcare in East Brooklyn and part of one Brooklyn health system that includes Interfaith and Kingsbrook Jewish Medical Center. Tony, as we said, it's no longer heart month officially. But- no, no, February has passed, but... That doesn't mean the need to keep your heart healthy has gone as well. Of course not. And so at Brookdale, uh, they have a state-of-the-art division of cardiology. Their physicians and team of highly skilled nurses and technicians offer a full range of diagnostic testing and interventional treatment. If you got an issue, they will intervene. So make your appointment today at brookdalehospital.org or give them a call at 718 240 Five six zero zero Brookdale University Hospital, the leader in healthcare in East Brooklyn, and now we have we have the one and only favorite part of the hour or half hour 
or 45 minutes, depending on how long we speak for. We have National Treasure and Arts Editor Bill Roundy. Hey, hey, everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm workshopping a... Uh, who, workshop. now, <laughs> who now comes with his own theme music, yeah, folks. workshopping that. Um, joining us in studio for, again, our list of the best things to do and see in Brooklyn this week. But before we get to things to do and see, we are going to speak a little bit about a new thing to listen to, oh. which is not this beloved podcast, nor our sister podcast, Power Women, which you should be turning into every week, but a new podcast produced by our friends at the Brooklyn Public Library called Borrowed, um, which creators of debuted a little bit at um, a podcast festival this weekend. The On Air Festival. Yes, the On Air Festival, which happened, I believe, at least in Williamsburg and perhaps other locations. At the Wythe Hotel in yeah, Williamsburg. at the Wythe. Um, Do they call out people's names who have not yet returned books? Well, that's a great question for Carissa Corbett Kavoris, who I'm sure will have issue with how I pronounce her name. But Carissa is going to explain it all. Let's give her a About call. the library's new podcast, Borrowed. We're going to give her a ring right now. You know, Bill and I met with leaders of the library a couple of months ago who kind of teased this project but yeah, said, we got a lot of fun stuff coming up. You know, they they were still in the planning stages, so this is great hi, news. Hi, Carissa. Carissa, hi. This is Tony Rotano with Brooklyn Paper Radio. I'm here with my arts editor, Bill Roundy, and my co-host, Johnny Cunin. Hey, how you doing? Hi. So, sorry, Tony, Bill, and Johnny. Johnny. Yeah. Hey there. Carissa. Yeah. A lot hi, of names. Um, Welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, thank you for joining us. And yeah, um. Problem. Before I mess it up again, I want to just confirm my pronunciation. We have Carissa Corbett Cavoris. Um, almost all the way there. It's just two syllables, just Carissa. Carissa. Yeah. No oh. way. How about the just middle the, and last name? Did you get that right? Emphasis on the first, but I'll take either way. And amazingly, you nailed the last name. All right. All right. That's well. usually the tough one. I appreciate your candor and your support of my pronunciation abilities. Um, <laughs> so... Carissa, we were telling our listeners, um, and we, we we reported about it a little bit last week um, because we know there was a librarian to promote Borrowed at the On Air Festival in Williamsburg this weekend. But we're very excited. You know, we love podcasts. And when your colleagues came and talked to us in December about, you know, you guys putting one together, we were very excited about it. So tell our listeners and your, you know, many of whom are your patrons, what um what they're going to get on this new podcast series from the library that, you know, they, they're not getting from the stacks, from the other resources available throughout the system? Yeah. I mean, you know, we felt like one of the things that makes us unique as an organization is that we are in every Brooklyn neighborhood. We have 59 branches all throughout the borough. And that means that within a mile or so, there's the library, which right. means we've got people really all over Brooklyn coming into our libraries. Um, which means for us, we can tell their stories. We know who they are. They come to us with what they need, what they're learning, what they're excited about. We help them get jobs. We help them find book clubs. You know, we help them get their high school diploma. For us, that means that we're telling, you know, we're listening to them tell us their stories. And so that means that the podcast is a wonderful place for us to then tell their story wow. to the rest of Brooklyn. I and love that. That's really cool. Everyone. You're not only lending stories, you're telling stories. Yeah, we do feel like the 
libraries, the books are just the starting place for us. The way we relate to our patrons, that tends to be what people think they're going to get when they come into a library. It's the traditional thing we've always done, and we're doing it as much as ever. But a lot of the stuff that we find out from our patrons and a lot of the things that they find out that we can do for them go well beyond the books. And we want to make sure that everyone knows that, that that's what our libraries are there for. They're these big buildings full of books, but they're also full of people who can help them do whatever it is that they're doing in their lives. Now, the show... And correct me if I'm wrong. It hasn't formally debuted yet, correct? No, it's debuting later this month. No, our first episode drops on all of the places you can get podcasts on March 12th. March 12th, and that was going to yeah. be my next question. So tell our listeners where all of those you know wonderful places are, where they can listen to it, um, you know when it drops. So we're obviously going to be in a podcast app, um, which is the iTunes Store. Um, I, we're definitely also in Stitcher and Spotify, and you can actually just stream the episodes from our website. Um, because we're we're hosting them and putting embedded players on the website so that you can listen um, straight through the web, which is brooklynlibrary.org backslash podcasts. Um, but we're hoping that people will be subscribing in all of those wonderful apps that let you listen to podcasts when you're walking out in the world. Yeah, no, I mean, that sounds very much like how we push this beloved podcast out. And you yeah, know we'll what? Give it, we'll, we'll, we'll send it out on every medium that people listen to podcasts on. Now, are you actually are you going to be speaking with the patrons of the library, bringing them onto the show, or are you telling stories about what sort of interactions the librarians have had? Yeah, it's it's pretty narrative and interview driven. So we are talking to patrons. Our producer has been probably in a dozen of our libraries already, and she only started six or seven months ago oh um, interviewing patrons. So I pretty much, you know. I think so far every episode we've recorded has had a conversation or two with a patron, um, as well as with our staff, obviously. Um, so sometimes our staff are telling us about these interactions, and sometimes we're just going to an event or going to a class and talking to patrons themselves. That sounds fascinating. What, um, you know, obviously this will be a very unique podcast because, you know, there's only one Brooklyn Public Library system, but, you know, for listeners, podcast geeks who are curious, um, is there any sort of comparison to podcasts that are out there now that you can kind of, you know, if you like this, you'll like exactly borrowed. fill in the Mad Lib blank, um, you know, so people who are trying to plan their audio consumption over the weeks ahead know, you know, who, why to tune in or what what they might get. Yeah, that is such a good question. Um, in terms of what we were inspired by, um, I think there's something to be said for people are fascinated with stories of the library and they're fascinated with stories of Brooklyn, you know, so while sure. we here in New York know that Brooklyn is just, you know, one of our five boroughs, it's wonderful. Um, I think there's a lot of like interest in urban life, right? Like this Absolutely. enormous city yeah. <laughs> just kind of dominates the collective imagination. So, you know, obviously there's narrative podcast storytelling like This American Life, where you're just listening to people who live in other cities and live other lives tell you about what their day is like. I think for us on the team, too, 99% Invisible is a really fascinating show that tells you about something you probably think you know a lot about, like, I don't know, blue jeans. Um, and then by the time you're done listening to 20 to 30 minutes, you've learned a whole bunch of new things you never knew. Sure. Um, and so I think we kind of hope that that's what we will do for our listeners for what it means to be a library in the 21st century in Brooklyn, that they may think they know what that means, but the more they listen, the more they will really learn the 
totally surprising, curveball, fascinating things that we do. Um, it's the benefit of having such a big system um, is that there's always a lot going on. Yeah, no, I, 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 you know, I, it sounds fascinating and, and it, every time, whether we're reporting a story on the library or we're talking with you guys, it is remarkable how, you know, what actually happens at the library is so much more than people coming in and going with books. I mean, you know, how, how it's really a modern day, you know, town square in many ways, you know, where people are coming for all sorts of things and, and. I think learning more in depth about those various scenarios via narrative form, you know, to me that I would love, you know, that's something I would really dig it, dig. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, Krista, we, we thank you for your time. We're probably going to have to let you go to keep on schedule, but before we do, um, you know, obviously we'll remind our listeners borrowed debuts on March 12th, where all fine podcasts can be found on iTunes, on Stitcher, on brooklynpubliclibrary.org. Um, Krista, is there anything else you'd like to you know, say about the program or the system uh, before we let you go? Well, you know, I think we, um, we, do, we do do books very well. Um, so I will say that every podcast is going to include um, a couple book recommendations from a librarian um, and that we will put those together as a book list on our website. So while, you know, we're telling stories that are much bigger than the stuff you can find on the shelves, we will not leave our listeners high and dry. There will still be some great books to read. I asked this uh, before you came on. Will you be calling out the names of individuals who have not yet returned their books? <laughs> we prefer a carrot to a stick approach when it comes to overdue books. We know that you will come back to us eventually and bring your books. We will not be naming and shaming. No scarlet letters. Myself included. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Well, Krista, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. um, And good luck with the launch. We can't wait to hear it. Thanks so much. Thanks for interviewing us. We're uh, we're really looking forward to it. Always a pleasure. Take care. All right. Folks, that was Krista Corbett-Kavoris from the Brooklyn Public Library um, here with us to discuss their forthcoming podcast series, Borrowed, which debuts on line on March 12th. Um, now, what you've all been waiting for. That's right. Oh, I'm back. I'm still here. Mr. Roundy is back. We were worried we might not get him today. He was out of town this weekend, and you know all that ado about the snowstorm had me... We, we trudged through the snow. Shaking in my snow boots yesterday. Well, thank God. Um, and our and listeners, thank you, too. I'm thanking you on behalf of them. What's coming up this week? Well, so this podcast is coming out on Tuesday, and that is Fat Tuesday. Oh, boy. Which means Mardi Gras. There are a lot of Mardi Gras events going on in Brooklyn this weekend. Yeah. Or or on Tuesday, um, uh, some of which we detailed in an article. Yes. uh, Which you can pick up on the stands. Online now and on stands. uh, One of the finest events is happening at the Montauk Club, which is the salon which the Montauk Club is a very fancy old building in Park Slope, built in the 1920s. Uh, and it's going to have three floors of dancing. There's going to be bands on each floor and a burlesque show. And it'll all kick off at 6 o'clock with Brooklyn Swings, which is a local uh, dance company, which will teach people how to do swing dancing so they can jitterbug all night. Well, that sounds fantastic. A good time. Now, what is the cost to walk into that? Now, that starts at $40. $40 a person. Uh, and then it's $52 if you want to get the open bar. Oh. But it goes on until 11 o'clock. That's oh, wow. a low price! <laughs> well, you get a dance lesson, you get a drink. I mean, that's not bad. Not at all. What else you got? 
Um, and also, well, also happening that night uh, is a new exhibit opening at the Brooklyn Historical Society. Oh, on, yes. On the queer waterfront. Oh, boy. Which looks at sort of the uh, the gay community that existed in Brooklyn along the waterfront sort of during the late 19th century and sort of the early 20th century. I read, um, you know, we had a great article on that exhibit um, in our paper last week. And it was fascinating to learn that, you know, the waterfront and the industries that it sort of catered to were, uh, you know, a safe haven for a lot of gay and and bisexual and queer individuals at the time because it allowed them some sort of anonymity. They could kind of like sail off into the night on these ships and, you know, they met a lot of transients because people were coming and going. I'm probably yeah. overgeneralizing. But well, but apparently a lot of the uh, the professions that allowed for travel, like sailor or like actors and musicians, uh, were very attractive to gay people because they could be on the road and they could have their romantic uh, assignations yeah. uh, elsewhere and then come back and sort of be closeted here at home. I thought it was a really, you know, it was something that seems, when you read it, it seems so obvious, but, you know, it also was truly re- relevatory because, you know, I never thought of it that, that deeply, but, yeah. you know... The, the curators down there clearly did, and it sounds like a really fascinating, you know, sociological study. Yeah, there's a historian named Hugh Ryan who has a new book that uh, he is launching in uh, in conjunction with the new exhibit. So it's going to be a combined uh, book launch and also opening of the reception. So Will that's he be signing books? Uh, I believe so. All right. Um, and that's I don't have on all the details, but that's also on Tuesday. Tomorrow night. So tonight. Gonna, tonight. 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 So, depending so, on what... So you can you is. can race from the reception which starts at six thirty and then get over to the Montauk Club if you're feeling very ambitious. Hey, it is Fat Tuesday only once a year, folks. Cram it in. Uh, and then on Thursday, of course, it is the first Thursday Dumbo Arts Walk. Oh, uh, which they have they're back on the first Thursday of every month. Um, now, were they on hiatus during the colder months, or did they do ones in January and no, February? No, it happens uh, every month. It does. Oh wow. Um, I think some of them are maybe a little less robust during uh, sure during January. Um, Proceed at a s- swifter clip. But yeah, they're going to be galleries uh, all over Dumbo. We're going to be having uh, opening receptions and special late hours. And one show I thought was particularly interesting is the Park Slope Windsor Terrace Artists Group. Interesting. Is leaving their neighborhood and going down to Dumbo. Yeah. They're going to have an exhibit at 55 uh, Water Street. At the big Empire Stores building. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Uh, so they're going to be all over that um, from uh, 6 to 9 on Thursday night. You don't have to go to Park Slope or Windsor Terrace to see their work. You can just head to Dumbo and pop into Empire Stores. Yeah, those guys, they do a, an arts walk uh, every year uh, on open studios, but it involves traveling all over Park Slope and Windsor Terrace. Here you get it all in one room. Nice. Well, if you want your art all in one room, it sounds like a great way to spend your night on Thursday. And I am excited for Friday night. I'm going to go see Les Sans Coulottes at Hank's Saloon. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Ooh. Now, this is a, a band. Their name translates as Without Pants. All right. Uh, they My are, favorite type of performer. Yep. They are Brooklynites. I go to see them every year at the Atlantic Antic. 
Oh, the beloved street fair. Yeah. yeah. When so is the Atlantic Antic? We got a little time? Spring, summer? We've got it's summer usually, time. yeah, at the end of the time. summer. All yeah, right. yeah. We got some time. Yeah, plenty of time. But they're playing at the new Hank's Saloon downtown. Which, yeah, we tried to go to just last week f- for a farewell party for, you know, beloved reporter Julianne Cuba, who left us, but it was closed, so we didn't Turned get to away, peek inside. Turned away, there was a private event. You know. Um, which they could... Have you been to the new Hanks yet? I have. You have. Yeah, I went to their opening night party. Um, had a really good time. Yeah, it's, uh, it is much larger than the old place. There's a better sound system. Where is this? Uh, it is right downtown. It's uh, general above, area. Um, it's across the street from Shake Shack, uh, and sort of across from Borough Hall. Yeah, it's very close to our oh, office. Okay. It's just yeah, sort yeah. of down J and on you court. Know. No, 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 not even that no, far. No, it's on Willoughby and, uh, I guess, Adams And Street. Adams, oh, okay. yeah. It's sort of, you know, you can kind of walk. I mean, so I'm it's pointing. It's, it's <laughs> we actually... need a map in here, folks, so I can point Johnny in the direction. Maybe that would be really too. useful to all of you. Uh, it's very close um, to it, our office. But it's Just above the Hill Country Food Park, uh, oh. what used to be Hill Country Barbecue. Uh, and now the second floor, which had its own bar and stage, has been sort of portioned off and now that's Hank's. Okay. So it's part of the food hall, but also they close that off at eight o'clock and then there's a separate entrance on Adams Street. Gotcha. And um, that's where you'll be. You can uh, party with Bill. Yeah, party with Bill Roundy. Friday night. Get your recommendations in person. Look for the shaved head and the goatee. There will only you'll be about recogn- fifty people who meet that description. <laughs> you'll there. recognize him from his appearances in the beloved bar scroll column. If that's you're right. a fan of that um, at, uh, you my can't caricature miss Bill Roundy. is at the head of every Edition. So uh, we got some a French performance on Friday, French band, a nice break from, you know, the traditional Irish festivities in March. Anything else on your radar this weekend, Bill? Uh, well, so Into the Woods is still going on. Oh, yes. The uh, Stephen Sondheim musical being done by Theater 2020. And so I got to catch that last weekend. And that's over in Brooklyn Heights? It is. It's over at... Oh, goodness, what is the name of the college? Um, oh, St. Francis. St. Francis College, yes. yes. Um, so it's a pretty small theater, which means that it's very intimate. It's just, uh, there's about 12 people in the cast and a piano player. They got a nice pool at St. Francis, too, is that by true? the way. If you can sneak downstairs, like an Olympic-sized pool, if I'm not oh. mistaken. Note, something to do during intermission. Right. Yeah, take a lap. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, you enjoyed that. that. You enjoyed that show, Bill? Yeah, it's a really good show. Um, just some fantastic singers. Uh, so one of my favorite bits are the actors who played the charming princes also play the evil stepsisters. Oh, I love that. And so they had to go back and forth, sometimes very quickly in the space of a line or two. Uh, they just would whip out a shawl and put it around the shoulders. Now there's How somebody much are else. tickets? Tickets are $40. Wow! Uh, but it's going on... That's a low price! Uh, on Saturday at 4 p.m. and then again on Sunday at Sorry, Saturday at 8 p.m. and 4 p.m. on Sunday, and that'll be going on until March 17th. So a you've got time. another week to catch that. Got a couple weeks, yeah, another week to catch that show. Local theater, you know, if you say it's good, I take your word for it. Well, you can also read the full review by the butcher of Flatbush Avenue Extension. We did send our reviewer. That review is up online now at brooklynpaper.com. If anybody doesn't take Bill's word for it, the butcher took his cleaver, and he didn't chop the show up. No, no, he uh, he had some things to say, as he always does. He always does. has some sharp commentary. But he says that that's the one to see. You know, and I always trust my butcher. 
Uh, any other stuff from you? Or no, I all think that's, right. about, well, that's then, plenty for the week. Let's go, Nets. Let me do my uh, let's go, check-in Nets. with the uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, that was, I've been workshopping a lot of stuff today. A lot of sound effects we, were workshopping we, today. Uh, we spoke a week ago about the three upcoming games. Yeah, the how'd had. they do? They lost all three, All right. Oh, I didn't bet on them, yeah. in case they you are were consistent. <laughs> yeah, well, that said, they play again uh, Monday night, which would be yesterday. Uh, but because of the time loop that we jumped through, we don't know how they fared. Who while knows? At the t- I time, I bet of they did fantastic. Yeah, I, uh, they also play uh, in Brooklyn on Wednesday night against your Cleveland Cavaliers, the people of Ohio. All right, that's a LeBron? winnable game. No, no, he is now a Laker, but he was a Cavalier. Fair so you, you know, you just last year. So I only follow the Nets. You're in tune enough. Uh, then they'll be on the road after that for the week. So we go see them on a Wednesday night, 730 at the Barclays Center. I'm sure tickets are, you know, you can get them game day, 20 bucks, something like that. Uh, tell them Brooklyn Paper Radio sent you and they'll look at you like they don't know what you're talking about. And uh, from there, you know, I guess that's that's about it. Yeah, I think um, we've covered it this week. Uh, but I want to thank all of our guests today, including reporters Colin Mixon and Julianne McShane. Um, Nancy Ford from Bay Ridge, who called in to weigh in about her fears over the bifurcation of the R train. Brendan Fay of the Lavender and Green Alliance, who called in to remind us just how historic it is that Brooklyn St. Patrick's Day Parade will be formally recognizing LGBTQ, LGBTQ marchers this year right. in its 44th parade. Um, and Carissa Corbett Cavoris. No way. Carissa Corbett Cavoris. From the Brooklyn Public Library to talk about its new show, Borrowed. And of course, we got to thank our sponsors. Couldn't do it without Brookdale. University Hospital Medical Center, part of One Brooklyn Health System, the leader in healthcare in East Brooklyn. Happy birthday to my mom. Happy birthday, Johnny's mom. Thank you to Bill Roundy, last but not least. And thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week on Brooklyn Paper Radio. Peace out, Brooklyn.